to show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Off the Mats Podcast. My guest for this episode is going to be Mr. Shane Sorensen, and he's author of Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day. And he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So just wanted to speak with Shane and first off, learn about the book and then get into some good conversation. So Shane, welcome to the show and thank you for doing this. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to come on and uh, talk talk a little bit of philosophy and some jujitsu. It's going to be fun. So, Absolutely. And leading into this, when I was reading the book, first, as I'm reading the book, I was like, okay, just trying to find free time to sit down and read. I was like, okay, let me see if I can get at least my phone to dictate it to me. And then that, that was a game changer. I was like, okay, now I can walk around work, I can be on the exercise bike, you know, all these different things. And just listening to the book, it was really putting me into, it's almost kind of like you found me almost at a point where I think I maybe needed it most because there's some points that were being made and I was just thinking, you know, early on in the book, this kind of speaks to me a little bit, just listening to uh, the earlier parts about the Renaissance era. And then almost kind of feeling like some of that parallels with the world today to a degree and just people in general and just kind of getting an understanding. So um, what I want to ask is with writing this book, what, you know, kind of sparked this for you? You know, what made you want to, you know, go out there and uh, share this, this journey with us? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's kind of interesting. Like I I get asked this question a lot because I, it's, you know, not a lot of people will sit down and, and put in the time to write a book. And especially I, I'm not a professional writer or anything like that. I've, I've done some freelance blogging. I've done some things like that, uh, but I've never made a career out of writing. It's it's not my career. It's something that I just, the the actual book idea started out when I was, I'm, I'm 33. It started out when I was in my mid twenties, I was running this self-improvement blog i was kind of taking some time from jujitsu. i was a purple belt competitive purple belt at the time and i i was running this like really cheesy like self-improvement blog that that was my thing like i was going to change the world i was 23 i was like starry-eyed and i thought i was going to do this really big thing and i had this kind of like cheesy idea for a book about you know like 12 easy hacks to think like a renaissance man or something like that, you know, and the idea evolved over like a 10 year period. And I I would say like in my mid twenties, I really started getting into philosophy. So it's, it's been about, about 10 years. I've been kind of self-studying and self-reading philosophy now. And as my love of philosophy kind of bloomed and developed, the idea of the book was kind of always in the back of my mind. And I, decided that I just wanted to write it and it kind of evolved. So there was like a first writing and then a second writing and then a rewriting and another rewriting. And over, over the, the many kind of versions of the book, I really, I think came into the idea that philosophy was what I really wanted to focus on in the book. Okay. And did you go to school for philosophy or anything or 
I didn't. Um, so I've, I've done a lot of different like little careers and jobs. Um, I worked as a nurse for about six years. Um, and then I got out of nursing and currently I basically, I'm a manager and partial owner of a chain of gyms here in the Atlanta area. Um, used to be called tap out fitness, but it's now called uh, ATL fitness 24 seven. So it's like a 24 hour gym. And we also have like boxing and kickboxing. So that's, you know, that's my day job. Like I said, this is uh, philosophy has just been something that's been a passion of mine. Um, and it, it's interesting, right? Like the, the genesis of philosophy, I think, and I, I think about this a lot, modern philosophy, a lot of times becomes this like very academic and speculative type thing where you have like, you just kind of think of when you think of philosophy, you think of like a bunch of 80 year old, like white dudes in like this room and they're like maybe in a fire there's like a fireplace there and a bearskin rug and they're like smoking cigars and they're like arguing about kant and like metaphysics and they're they're all talking about people and philosophers that we can't even pronounce their names and you know the the reason that philosophy started and like the when you break down the etymology of the word philosophy in greek is the love of wisdom it it really started with people just, they were looking for practical wisdom to live their lives by. And um, I think that's maybe one of, uh, maybe like one of the problems and the misconceptions with philosophy is that we we think that it's kind of like a, a career now, like it's, it's this academic thing. And people, I think, tend to forget the, the genesis of philosophy, which was just, it's practical wisdom to, to live a better life. It's to be a better human being, to find peace, to find happiness, wisdom, tranquility. Uh, that's, that's really where, where it started and kind of what it, what it's all about. Yeah. Whenever I hear philosophy, I think about the old, um, Bruce Lee story from the nineties starring, uh, Jason Scott Lee. And I guess they're like, Bruce Lee was going to school for, for philosophy and he's talking to his girlfriend at the time and saying, yeah, you know, I'm majoring in philosophy and I can have deep thoughts about being unemployed. So yeah, that, that was always like my thought with like philosophy is like, do like do people go to school for philosophy? And then like, what's your job after? I guess professor, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's always my or, thought. Or barista. <laughs> you end up as a barista <laughs> at Starbucks, you know, with everybody else. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, that, that now that I think about it, they're all, there's always someone at Starbucks that just, Every time I'm talking, I was like, wow, that's some deep thoughts there, buddy. Like, yeah. all right, cool. Like, that's where all the philosophers go that don't make it to like college universities. With uh, modern day philosophy, and I was thinking about this like not too long ago uh, before we started recording. Like, who's someone you would think of as like possibly like a modern day philosopher, you know, kind of in the ideal of, you know, like a Socrates? Um, you know, not necessarily on that level, but it's just like when you're in the moment, you don't necessarily know that you're going through something per se. So then thinking about, you know, philosophers of today, like who would you think, you know, who would you consider like a modern day philosopher? Uh, you know, it's, it's so tough, especially like when, because when you get into the, the more modern philosophy, I mean, you have you have like academia, 
which you know I'm not I'm not familiar with the academia of like the really modern philosophers. I couldn't tell you who who's the cutting edge person that has the cutting edge theory on like whatever is going on right now um, in in popular modern philosophy on an academic level. Um, you know, I'll say that like practically, I, I hear a lot of people mention you know people like Jordan Peterson or um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who are essentially like philosophers in, in a way, you know, I mean, philosophy, again, just when you kind of define it as like the search of wisdom, I mean, any anybody who's a deep thinker, anybody who questions things or tries to think freely or essentially tries to look at the world and dissect things and figure things out, I mean, you, you have a philosopher's spirit. And, you know, something that you said in the intro that, that actually like kind of made me think, right, was when you said, you know, hey, I know nothing. Well, that's that's like I don't. I'm sure you read, remember reading the book or whatever. But there's there's a famous story about Socrates on trial, and it's one of my favorite stories from philosophy. And basically, one of his friends goes and asks this oracle at Delphi who the wisest person in Athens is, and they say Socrates. Socrates says that there's no way it could be me. I don't know anything. I'm I'm an idiot. You know, I'm I'm ignorant. There's so many things I don't know. I'm just trying to find truth myself. So he goes out and he wants to disprove the oracle and show that he's not the wisest person. So he goes to the politicians and he realizes that, like, even though the politicians have all this power, they think they know everything and they're just they're really just full of hot air. And then he goes to the poets and he realizes that even though they write beautiful poetry, they can't even explain how they come up with this poetry, or where it comes from. It's like this divine bout of inspiration. It's not even built on any kind of logic. And then, you know, he goes to the merchants and he realizes that, you know, even though they're very successful and they have all this money, they, you know, they basically don't know anything about anything except for making money. And they're actually very ignorant of things like how to be happy or um, some of the more like practical pieces that you can pull from philosophy. And he comes to the conclusion that he actually is the wisest person, but that's only because he realizes how little he knows. Um, and, you know, that that's like to me, like when you see someone with a curious spirit, someone who's willing to question their own preconceived notions on things, to go out, to examine, to try to learn new things. I mean, that that's a philosopher to me. So I think there is a little bit of that spirit left, but I think that that spirit is becoming more and more rare in our day and age, I think. Yeah, that, that's. It's true. It feels like, um, I don't know, it just feels like these days, especially, you know, there are thinkers, there are deep thinkers, but I also feel like at times there are individuals that fake it till they can fake it till they make it. You know, they, they know a lot of big words, but don't really know what those big words mean. And I, I, I've been guilty of doing that sometimes. Just messing with my friends on the basketball court. I'll say something. They're like, oh, okay. Like autodidactic. They're like, oh, dude, that's a school word. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Don't ask me what it means, though. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but with, you know, kind of modern thinkers in just where we are as a world, like, what do you think is kind of a, a cause of that, that, you know, may have people kind of waning away from it, possibly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, I think it's a good, that's a, a really good question. So like, 
one of the things that I talk about in the book and really, really what my book is, I think if you boiled it down to its essence is it's a call to awaken the individual within each one of us. I think that we've really lost our sense of individuality as Americans and, and really globally, but especially Americans. Um, I, I think our culture is basically has become cannibalistic. I, I think that we're, we're basically just kind of tearing ourselves apart. I think that we've become very, very consumerist as a society. Um, I think that we're much more motivated by narratives and advertisers and outside influences than we are by our own kind of like free free thinking and our own curiosity and you know it's it's funny because you would look at america and you would say like we're a very me-centric society like it's all about us but we're we're kind of chasing the desires that someone's told us to chase you know very very few people are living a life where they're pursuing something that's really truly meaningful to themselves. They're spending a lot more time chasing things that they, they think that they need for validation of their ego or to fit in, you know, things like they're, they're trying to get that new luxury car. They're trying to get that brand new iPhone. They're trying to curate their life perfectly on Instagram so that everyone sees how perfect their life is and how great their family is. And in the pursuit of those things, I think that we've really, really lost connection with ourselves. You know, like what what makes us tick, who who we are as individuals, what our what our passions are, our curiosity. Uh, I think that there's a a light kind of within each one of us, and I think that the world has it's just become so loud, it's become so noisy that it kind of drowns that light out. And I, I think that that's really, like I said, my my book more than anything is a, is a call to kind of awaken that individual within each one of us. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're, you know, as you are just saying, you know, one of the things about what, at least I feel like, and I talk about this sometimes with my wife, you know, like the consumerism, like everyone always wanting, like it's not even needing, but it's just wanting, you know, Mercedes Mercedes Benz, you know, you know, just for the sake of, you know, being able to say, hey, I'm in a Benz or, you know, the new iPhone when you just got a new iPhone last summer. But the new new iPhone. Yeah, but it does what the last iPhone did. Yeah, but it's the 13. All right. But why do you need it? It's like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Kardashians, I guess, you know, these days. You know, and I think what comes with that consumerism as well is even with our jobs, where, you know, a lot of times maybe we don't get time to kind of have those deep thoughts and, and free thinking because, you know, we're we're saddled in, in, you know, a job for eight hours, sometimes more, not really getting a chance to focus on our own thoughts and focus on ourselves and uh, just being a human. So, yeah, we, we've we've kind of fallen a long way down. It seems like. Yeah, I I can see that, and, and I, I I do see it. You know, and that that's part of 
I think the motivation for the book, but you know, at the at the same time, and this is something that I'm I'm hopeful for, and I I, I try to pass on to people is that you know the the Renaissance, you know, if you study the history that happened right before the Renaissance, the the history of the time right before the Renaissance, like the Middle Ages, the you know the Dark Ages as they're sometimes called, it was a really awful time. Like after the fall of Rome, I mean, there were like there were multiple like famines. There was really bad outbreaks, outbreaks of the plague. There were huge banking collapses. I mean, just in Italy alone, I mean, it was like it was like hell on earth for these people. Like you, you read accounts from authors at the the early days of the Renaissance, like men like Petrarch and like Giovanni Boccaccio, and they write accounts of the plague in Florence, and they're like they basically just tell you it's so awful that if you weren't there, you would never believe how awful it was. Like there, there were just dead bodies completely lying in the streets. Like governments broke down. Um, it, it was complete chaos, right? I mean, they, they literally, they thought that the world was ending. They thought Christ was coming back and they, they thought like everything was done. And out of that, that's, you know, that's where the Renaissance comes from. So when you, when you think of the Sistine Chapel or you think of like all this countless, art and architecture you look at the architecture of italy um of rome and you see this all this beauty and all this like inspiration you know that that came immediately out of this period of darkness and that's it's an idea that i think about a lot right is that you know renaissance is just a, a french word for rebirth and it's it's like the phoenix you know the legend of the phoenix like you you gotta burn it down to rise up out of the ashes so i think that's that's kind of the 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 um, glass is half full kind of way to look at it. Like thing, things have gotten pretty crappy, but um, sometimes when things get crappy enough, it really motivates people to kind of snap out of it and, and make a positive change. That's what I'm hopeful for. Sure. It's like in um, The Crow, where they say it can't rain all the time. So, you know, just kind of thinking about, you know, the dark ages and then the Renaissance, you know, following up after that and just looking at where we are as a world sometimes you hear people saying you know and we, we got a lot going on we've also got nearly eight billion people on the planet as well so i, I think that factors in and also we have 24-hour news circuits now so we're getting fed so much stuff so it's real easy for people to say you know we're, we're in our own form of the dark ages now uh, but you know again I mean, there was a point where I think the population was at a deficit, you know, back then with the play and, and, um, you know, like many ice ages and things like that. So right now we're, we're, you know, no deficit by any means. It's like, we're continuing to grow as a population. So I don't know if we're necessarily in the dark age now, but there's something funky going on. So it, it, it gets, it gets weird. It, oh. it definitely does. And I, I think that that's, um, that that's like even more of a reason to, I think to, to look inward. Right. And a, a lot of the early philosophers talk about this too. I mean, this is really common in like the virtue ethics and like the virtue philosophers, like the, in stoicism and Epicureanism, you find it a lot in Plato and Socrates and you find it some in Aristotle as well, but you know, this idea that, like happiness and contentment is really something that you kind of find within there's, there's so many of examples of it you can find in stoicism, but you know, one of, 
one of the ideas I talk about in the book, and this is all the ideas of the, the book kind of wrap up together, and it's a call to seek eudaimonia instead of happiness. And eudaimonia is just basically, it, it's, it means flourishing. So when I think of flourishing, you know, you think of like a plant that's blooming, that's growing, that's evolving, that's getting better. And it's like when you're, when you're putting energy into yourself, to bettering yourself, to having a more positive outlook on the world and um, making something out of your own life, despite what's going on around you, like you can be in this really positive state of growth and you're really dynamic and um, vibrant and you can be surrounded by terrible things. I mean, death and torture and uh, the, some of the worst things that you can possibly imagine, but you can kind of create this little like bubble within yourself. And it really, no one can, no one can take that away from you. It's something you have to give away. And that's, it's, it's pretty sad, right? I mean, like, obviously there, there are people who are really, 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 really born into like tough situations and they're still able to find little pieces of happiness or, or do positive things with their life, you know? So that's something I always try to think about is like, you know, there's somewhere there's like this kid that was born in a dirt hut, you know, somewhere. And it's like, he's just, he just wants food like that. That's like his only concern. And then I look at like my, my, my problems and I'm like, I'm like, man, I like, I gotta, I gotta like get on my grind. I got opportunity here, you know? Well, yeah. And that's, that's the thing too. It's like, you know, when you point it out that way as well, it's like that kid who he wakes up and all he wants is food. It's like down to the bare minimum necessity, you know, yeah. what gets you through the day? Whereas again, you know, in this, this modern world that we're in now, it's almost kind of like, you know, we wake up, and we almost forget, you know, like, you know, just how well off we do have it. But also, that's the thing, too. It's like I always joke with my wife about, you know, Jeff Bezos, for example. It's like, yeah, he's got a bunch of money. He's got yachts, I'm sure. It's like, but if somebody put the wrong fuel in, in one yacht, you know, we might say, oh, shut up. You got a yacht, whatever. That's that's no problem. But that's a big, big ass problem for him, though. So it's yeah. like. You know, everyone's problems, you know, there's a sliding scale for it. But, you know, at the same time, though, too, it's like, you know, let's not, you know, overlook the fact that, you know, we could be in a worse spot as an individual. Like I said, this kid who was born in a hut and wakes up every morning is really, you know, not knowing where his next meal is coming from, you know, whereas for that individual, it is just really a matter of looking within, just yeah, worrying about what's going on to get to the next step. And you know, you you know that person's probably not thinking about, you know, well, I'm certain they're not thinking about, you know, the the silly things that we think about on a daily basis because they're number one probably not even aware of it. But number two, it has you know no meaning for them if they were aware of it. I remember being a kid and. You know, seeing other kids in the neighborhood with all the cool GI Joes, all the Thundercats, and everything, and you know, it got to a point where it was like, I didn't even want it because I didn't even know what to do with it once I got it. So, you know, just make your own happiness. You make your own path, whether it be picking up a book, picking up a pen and paper, or going out and running, playing a sport, whatever it may be. When you 
started writing and and really decided like look i'm going to make this into a book and you also having you know your regular life you know training working and everything you know how did you manage that split was it difficult or you know was it did it eventually become kind of like a, 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 a even flow for you where it was just routine i'm i'm pretty i'm a pretty routine oriented person i I actually picked this up from somebody. I was on a another podcast. Um, it's called like the Strong Stoic Podcast, but it's the, the guy like threw a quote out at me from Jocko that's like discipline equals freedom, and it it really like w- when you think about it, like discipline, <laughs> it, it makes you able to accomplish so much more. Um, and I think that I'm I'm just pretty disciplined. I mean, I I work I work a forty hour a week job. Um, right now I'm training jujitsu five days a week. Um, I lift six days a week. I do a typically like a five to eight mile run on Sundays. You know, I've, I've been working on the book. I manage, uh, I manage the Renaissance wisdom Instagram page. I do a post every day and do kind of like my take on, you know, kind of like my topic of the day. And a lot of it is just, really is just getting into routine. I just do little things like, okay, I just want to read for 30 minutes every day. I'm going to take 30 minutes out today and I'm going to work on my book. I'm going to take uh, 30 minutes today and I'm going to work on, you know, organizing, reorganizing my website or setting up my marketing plan for my book release. Or um, it just, it just kind of, I think just like staying organized and just making sure that you're being efficient with your time. You know, I, I don't really do a lot of like TV watching or, things like that. I mean, I do I'll try to allow myself time to like decompress, but um, sure. I don't know. I think, I think it's just about being efficient. We waste so much time. I mean, even tonight, like I knew that I was going to be talking to you. So after training, instead of coming home and cooking, I was like, all right, let me go to uh, Chipotle and get some food so that I can make sure that I'm at home on time. And it's like, I had this whole extra hour and I, you know, I worked on like, I've been learning Spanish. That's like my new thing that I'm doing now. Um, so I worked on Spanish for like 20 minutes, but then I just found myself like swiping on Instagram for, for 30 minutes. And then I'm like, oh man, it's 11 o'clock. Like I gotta go. Um, that, that stuff, like the social media, I mean, TV, that, that stuff is just such a huge time sucker if you just took like the average person took half the time or a quarter of the time that they spent doing that kind of thing and they put it into something productive i mean like you could get so much done yeah it we talk about that with the tv here at the house because the tv's always on but i think about it's like i don't know we're actually watching the tv but it's always like kind of like a a thing that's there like when i am in the basement I'm always like, okay, it, it it's it feels weird not having a TV on, despite not looking at the TV, and you know, even with just that not being the case, there's still the phone. I think the phone has become more of a bigger crutch for most, myself it's included. It's in your hand all the time. It's just mm-hmm. it's always there. It's all like there's this nagging like anxiety in your head to just like pick it up and like start swiping, you know, like just doom scroll. Middle of the night when I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and go to bed, turn off all the lights and I pick up my phone and start playing candy crush. Yeah. And 
five minutes of Candy Crush becomes an hour and a half later, and it's like, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, it's two o'clock. I need to go to bed. So it's a time. It's a time warp. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You you pick up your phone to set your alarm, and three hours later, you're watching cat videos on YouTube, and you're like, how did I get here? Where did where did this come from? I think there's one day my daughter and I just randomly. I don't know why, why it even, you know, I, I just started looking at tornado videos just for some random reason. But then, because like, I was doing it, I was sitting there by myself looking. My daughter nuzzles up next to me. And then before I know it, you know, 30 minutes goes by, we're sitting there going through tornado videos on Instagram. Just, you know, you know, granted, that's some kind of a, you know, little bonding time with my daughter and I, you know, because, you know, there's one of the videos I go, oh, man, they got to get out of there. They got to go. They got to go. Then two videos later, my daughter starts saying, oh, they got to get out of there. They got to dad, dad, they got to go. So, you know, it's like th- there's always that's the thing with the phone, with the Internet itself. Now, there's always something to catch you. And I guess that's what they said. One of the things now is, you know, all these companies, they're vying for your attention. That's what the, your attention is, their currency. So. Yeah, I mean, they got us with the tornado videos, I guess. So, you know, with doing jujitsu and, you know, being deep into philosophy and, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit, um, just jujitsu. There's a lot of philosophy, I guess, in jujitsu. When you were writing a book, were there any parallels as your, you know, you know, being disciplined, you know, with, you know, having your routine, but, you know, what, you know, if anything, did you pull from, you know, your years of training jujitsu that definitely helped you with writing the book? I'll say, you know, one thing that I gained from jujitsu and there's a, there's a lot of things I've gained from jujitsu, honestly, like it's, it's been very, very formative to who I am and how I think. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with John Thomas or not, Jonathan Thomas. He's got like a really popular uh, YouTube channel. He's like, he's like a like thin, like redheaded guy. He's he lives in Sweden right now. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He's he won like purple belt worlds, brown belt worlds. He has a huge following on, like, I think he's got like ninety thousand followers or something on Instagram. He's got a ton of um, followers and stuff on like YouTube. He does really great instructional videos. Um, he was like a math major and he is somebody that really helped me coming up when like, like a blue belt and purple belt. And I think that like, you know, I don't know if he would call himself a philosopher, but he has a very philosophical kind of like mind, the way that he dissects things, the way he breaks down things into, um, mechanics and like something that he would always do to me when I was a blue belt, we were training, like I, I had a really weak mind when I was a blue belt. Um, I was very like mentally weak. Like I had a lot of limiting beliefs and he'd show me something and it wouldn't feel right or I'd do it wrong and I'd feel stupid. He'd, I'd be like, I can't do it. And he, he'd get like really angry sometimes. Like, and I, I appreciate that he did this and he, he would just, he'd kind of like call me out and he'd be like, man, like you, you have this like limiting belief that you can't do this thing. And he's like, if you tell yourself you can't do it, like you're, you're never going to do it. And he, he really helped me kind of like break, break out of that. And, you know, when I was, 
when I was at Purple Belt, and I think you said you you train under Ty Murphy, right? So like when when I was competing at Purple Belt, um, Ty was like he was one of my biggest competitions. We I think I, we competed three or four times, and um, he always beat me. But like the the last time that we had competed, it was at Purple Belt. Um, I I went against him first round in pans, and I lost by like a ref's decision or something, you know. And I I felt it was like a bad call. But ultimately, you know, it's it's a ref's decision. It's whatever. Um, and yeah, he went on to win worlds that year at Purple Belt. So like I was I was at a very high level at Purple Belt. I think, you know, my last year at Purple Belt, I was ranked number three in the world. Um, you know, I've, I've competed against a lot of guys who are now, you know, black belt world champions and, you know, multiple level like belt level world champions and so like I, I trained really hard. I was training full time and I got to I got to that level where you're competing with the very best in your division, right? And that was my goal was like I wanted to be a black belt world champion. And I, I ended up kind of like having some life changes. I don't want to go into it. That would be like a whole nother story. But um I had some life changes and I just kind of decided that, that being a black belt world champion was not everything that I wanted in life. And there were some other things that were more important to me. Um, Cause I, I looked at what I was doing and I was, I was, I was training like set six, seven hours a day, like constantly watching video, you know, five days a week, just training all the time, spending all my money to go compete in IBJJF tournaments every month. And um, I kind of asked myself like, why, why am I doing this? Like, what, who am I trying to prove something to? Like, why do I need this, this like gold medal from the world championship so bad to validate me as a human being? And I started putting my energy into different areas. Um, but I, like that journey of having a dream and getting to the point where like, I know if I would have continued, I'm not saying I would have been a black belt world champion, but I know I would have won purple belt worlds. I know I would have run brown belt worlds. I know I would have been a, a high level black belt competitor. And like knowing that I came from being a really crappy blue belt in Indiana and I moved to Atlanta to like pursue a dream and I could have done it. Like that provides me so much freedom in life um, because that's jujitsu is hard, man. Like, it's it's really really hard like like you're like someone is trying to kill you and you're going out there and you're having to compete like six or seven matches or even if you're not competing even if you're just training like you have to go in there as a white belt and just get like shit on and destroyed for like two years so you can get your blue belt so then you can still get like destroyed so you can get your purple belt and it's like i've been training 13 years now i've got my black belt and i still get tapped out i still get beat like there's still black belts out there that would just completely trash me and dominate me and just toss me around like i toss a white belt around and it's like the the journey never ends but just kind of like knowing that knowing that you can go into something so difficult and you can like find your way and you can kind of navigate that it's just like the ultimate like confidence booster for me you know yeah yeah it's jujitsu is you know just thinking about today training for myself i was getting mauled by a white belt it it, it it didn't feel normal it felt horrible as a matter of fact i felt like i was being attacked by a bear it's really yeah. not really nice guys super sweet just after we got done he was just the nicest guy but 
you know, class was over. I'm standing on the side, just kind of conversing. And one of my coaches yells over, Dante, come on out here. And, you know, I mean, like, oh, okay, cool. It's like, roll with him. All about the same weight. I'm looking, I was like, no, not even close. He's got me by at least 20, maybe 30. You know, so we tap hands. And I'm sitting here just thinking, like, I'm definitely not, like, taking this guy down. So tried to pull real quick. Like, he, he was having none of that. After talking to him afterward, it turns out, oh, he was a wrestler. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that explains a whole lot. But even still, it, you know, as he's just mauling me, going through my mind, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, dude, jiu-jitsu's hard. <laughs> like, what am I doing? But that's one of the beauties of it, though, too, is challenging yourself. I think a lot of us don't challenge ourselves. And even in that regard, though, it's like I I try to invite all my friends to jujitsu. It's just I think I need a better way of doing it now because it used to just be, hey, just come on by the gym and sign this waiver. It'll be fine. I'm like, that doesn't sound <laughs> inviting at all my my buddy actually told me that he was like i just don't like the way that you say that he's like okay so i'm trying to think of a sweeter approach but you know i see a lot of my friends you know who don't train and you know they're fine you know they're, they're living life they're doing doing their thing i think because i'm biased because i'm in this this you know grouping of people I always say to myself, like, dude, you really could use, use this. Like, this could really, you know, spark something for you. Meanwhile, they probably, you know, my one buddy, he loves to play volleyball. It's He, he feels about volleyball how I feel about jujitsu. Because he always says to me, hey, you want to come play uh, volleyball with me? But at least I say to him straight up, I don't think I want to do that. It's just, I, I, don't, I don't like the sand. And, like, no. But I'm going to go over here with this... Uh, group of guys and, and, you know, get manhandled for about 45 minutes and then question my existence. I always feel like that's something with jujitsu too is, you know, the challenge to it, but then afterward, you know, that if you went out there and gave it your all and know I'm still learning because it's a journey and, and there's really no end to that journey. I mean, like you say, you have a black belt and then you still go out there and get tapped. It's not like you get a black belt and all of a sudden you're like Super Mario with the star and you're invincible. It's like they're still learning to be done. The game is changing. And even myself, I mean, I'm still a blue belt and I still look at that just like in my head. It's like I want to get to, you know, to the next level so bad. But then it's like it doesn't stop. It's not like no. you get the purple belt and it's like, okay, I'm here. Even purple is my favorite color. So that that's a huge incentive to me. I just, I just want the belt with my favorite color, but the journey still continues. Um, it it but, does. And, and I'll, and I'll tell you like, you know, you already said, but it, it definitely does not end at black belt either because I mean, I'm, I'm coming up in, uh, in August, it's going to be two years since I got my black belt and like when I got my black belt, I had this whole new motivation because like I was getting tapped out consistently by everybody who was a, who was a black belt. And I was like, man, I don't want to be a crappy black belt. 
Like, I feel like I'm a crappy black belt now. Like, I went from being, like, a good brown belt to being, like, a crappy black belt. Like, if I was a brown belt and a black belt tapped me out in my head, I can be like, oh, well, I'm a brown belt. It's okay. Like, but now I'm a black belt. And it's like, I don't want to get tapped out by all the black belts. So I'm like, okay, now I just need to, like, get where I'm not getting tapped out. And then you're like, okay, now I want to get where I'm tapping out other black belts. And, you know, it's like, not, not that that at all should be the measure of like how you're doing, you know, who, who you're tapping out or getting tapped out by. But um, I, I think it just, it became very like obvious to me that once I got my black belt, I was like, man, this, this is like a whole new journey. Cause now I'm just trying to be a good black belt. You know, I, I feel like a crappy black belt, you know? When, when you were getting tapped, what was the common, common uh, submission they were getting you with? Um, I don't know. I, I, I know, like, when you look at statistics, I think that one of the most common positions, it's like 70% of the submissions at black belt or something are like from the back, you know, just because it's, it's a very dominant position. It's very controlling. And the, you know, the chokes are just so dangerous there. I mean, I, I think that that's like, probably if I'm getting tapped out, it's usually like either like an arm bar or, um, you know, some, like some kind of back attack, you know, I got, I got like heel hooked on Tuesday night. Um, like no gi, you know, that was kind of new cause I've been trying to play more leg locks and that kind of thing. So I'm typically my response to like leg attacks is I just kind of try to smash or like run away from them. I just refuse to play them. Um, and now that I'm trying to learn them a little bit more, uh, I tend to get caught with them more just because I'm, I'm going for them. So my feet, tend to be more vulnerable as well. So, um, yeah, it just, it, it really, the, the learning, and that's like a really important tie-in between philosophy, like going back to where we talked about like Socrates and that um, realizing that you don't know anything. Th that's a huge part of your jiu-jitsu journey. It's like when you start feeling like you're a real jiu-jitsu badass and you know everything, like you're, you're going to stop making a lot of progress. Like, you're at your best when you go out there to training and you're just trying to learn. Like you don't care about getting tapped out or tapping somebody else out, but you really focus on just getting better, like improving yourself. Um, and, and just, I think that's part of the biggest benefit of jujitsu is that like ego destruction. Yeah. Yep. You, you, like you, you just, you have to be humbled. Like if you're a black belt, like, you pretty much have to be a humble person because it's like, you've gotten destroyed. So, so many times you've gotten tapped out so many times by the time you've gotten the black belt, it's like, you just can't think too much of yourself. Cause you, you just had to have seen how, how bad people can really be out there. You know, like how much better somebody can be. I've always feel like when I think about getting tapped and especially at the lower belts, you know, that, that's where the ego is super heavy you know when you come in as a white belt and there's a period as a white belt at least for myself i was able to kind of get rid of the ego and say you know what it doesn't matter i'm gonna go in here because if you're if you're not getting tapped you're not taking risk you're not trying to yeah you know you're staying in a comfort zone of yep. you know th that's never going to get you any better you're just going to you know, you might be really good at whatever that one thing is, but you're not growing in any other areas. So it's like, 
I remember kind of letting go of that ego. And my coach had me working with Spider Guard and Lasso and stuff like that. And it was weird and it was new, but it was fun. But I think that's why it was fun, though, because it was weird and it was new. It was something different. And, you know, that's that moment the ego left me because I just kept getting passed. I kept getting, you know, smashed. And and it was just and then when someone would get me, you know, and lasso, I many a time face planted just because you know I didn't tuck and, you know, tuck my head or anything. But, you know, there was growth that came out of that. And, you know, that's just that white belt. And it's like I'm right now kind of in that pocket with blue belt now where it's like okay i have to now it's no longer even about the ego it's now having to realize this is my own journey so i can't look at the other white belts coming up into blue belt and the other blue belts passing me going to purple it's like i have to now just say all right we've we've conquered our ego a little bit here now we have to focus on ourselves and just worry about your own journey and not the other journeys around you. Uh, And I think that's just one of those heavy lessons that I'm constantly reminding myself of and learning in in jujitsu. And I, you know, I can only imagine what, what's going to happen later on in blue and into purple when I get there and then brown and eventually black. But this is all, part of you know toughening the spirit i guess in 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 some degree because like having that challenge like i said you know a lot of people you know they're not challenging themselves anymore they're not tickling the spirit and 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 setting you know setting their souls on fire or anything they're just kind of eh, you know sit down flip through their phone flip through the tv you know maybe go out you know, get some ice cream, things like that. And it's not to say don't treat yourself. I like ice cream. Yeah. Um, I, I use my daughter as an excuse to indulge in ice cream. I'll say, hey, honey, bunny, you want to go get ice cream? Yeah. <sighs> she made the choice. Okay. Yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess the day that she says no, I should be really, really kind of confused. Like you're seven <laughs> and you said no to ice cream. What's wrong with you? So, in the book, you, you you talk about humanism. Can you, I guess, kind of explain that a little bit to me? A little, I guess, a little bit more detailed with humanism. Sure. So, yeah, like, I would say with um, humanism, so, like, there, there's a modern humanism, which is very different than a Renaissance humanism. It has some similarities, but, like, modern humanism is, is a more of, like, a secular thing, so it's not really tied up into religion at all um where renaissance humanists like because of the time frame you know most of these people were christian so that it did kind of affect the view that people had on on life um through a through a humanistic like lens um but the humanist movement so one of the big things that they were focused on you know aside from kind of the revival of like ancient texts. So they were really into like the, the ancient, like uh, Greek and Roman texts, but they were really into the um, humanities. So they, they studied things like history and philosophy and poetry and grammar. 
and they were looking at the the works from the ancient world. So they were looking at works from uh, men like Aristotle and Seneca and uh, Cicero, also like Plato and you know Socrates didn't write anything down, but we learned about Socrates through the writings of like Plato and um, Diogenes Laertius. But they were really, really, really focused on learning. And, and that was one of the most powerful things of the humanist movement was just this focus on and this emphasis of like knowledge and self-betterment. Um, and that's like, that's a huge, huge, huge component of the book. I mean, I think if, if you took nothing else away from the book, that's the thing that I would want you to take away is like, just, just like you said, like go out there, test yourself, like do some stuff that's challenging. Like don't like, you know, fail at some things, like learn something new, like just, open your mind a little bit you know it's like life is so short and it's it's so ephemeral it's not guaranteed and it's like just you know get out there and live a little bit like they say in fight club it was it's i love the line where he's like how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight you know it's like how, how much can you really know about yourself if you haven't like challenged yourself or if you haven't really gone out there to try to learn something new or risk failing you know i mean I, like I'm just some guy that was born in Indiana in a cornfield. Like, you know, like, yeah, I've done, I've done some stuff. It's like I'm I'm writing a book about philosophy. Like, who am I? You know, but hey, I did it. Like, yeah. e even if I sell like three copies of the book, like I I wrote a book. You know, yeah, my one buddy, my co-host for one of my other shows, he's a big fan of Fight Club, and I'm gonna use that quote now. To get him to jujitsu, uh, like yeah, I, you, that's the perfect quote. You've helped me figure out a way to get him on the mats. So, with writing the book, what was the hardest part about that whole process for you? You know, to be honest, probably the hardest part is like for me, it's it's psyching myself up to release the book. Like the, the book probably could have been ready eight months ago and there's like i kind of gotten to the point where it's like everything was written i'd hired my editor i'd hired my cover designer everything's good and it's like that that last step of like okay like i'm gonna actually promote this i'm gonna release it i'm gonna upload it to amazon i'm gonna start you know telling my friends about this stuff it's that's that's the hardest part for me it, it's like it's like i said you know i'm just i'm kind of like a nobody from a cornfield in indiana um, you know, you get that like imposter syndrome, like who, who am I to be talking about philosophy or what do I have to share with the world? And, um, I, th I think that's the hardest thing to overcome. And I, I still wrestle with it. It's like that kind of like that fear of failure or that fear of what, you know, people might think about you or that kind of thing. You know, you're, I'm putting myself out there, you know, and I think, I think that's sure. the hardest, I think that's the hardest part personally. No, I definitely get that. I feel that way with this podcast a lot every week. I've been doing this coming up on two years now. And every week I get nervous about putting the episode out. No matter how great I thought the episode went, I'm always nervous. Like, it. so I, I, I think I may get it a little bit, maybe. Um, whereabouts in Indiana are you from? Uh, I, I grew up in this really small town called Tipton. It's, I mean, it's like 5,000 people in the whole county. It's, uh, is really small <laughs> when I tell you it's like 
born in a cornfield. I mean, I like practically just grew up in the middle of a cornfield. So I have a really good friend from Salem, Indiana. So when when you kept saying like in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a cornfield, I'm like, like, oh, like, could it be? Like that, yeah. that that would be really weird for a small town. And it's like I know three people completely unrelated to each other from the same town. That's weird. Um, it's already weird that I know two people unrelated from that town. Yeah. So to find a third would have been like, oh my god, like I gotta go play the lottery or something. Something weird is happening. Between the writing of the book and your regular activity of practicing jujitsu you know, which one was more therapeutic for you or is writing even therapeutic for you at all? Now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, I don't like jujitsu is probably one of the most therapeutic things that I do. And I, I was in a period where I was only training a couple of days a week. And over the last like six months, I've been kind of back to like four or five days a week again. And I, I just, I feel a lot better. I mean, I've, even though I've been going through a lot of stuff the last six months, I've had a kind of like a rough, rough go of things the last six months or so. It's, it's like, it's hard to find anything to really replace the way I feel when I do jujitsu. I mean, I can go into jujitsu and I can feel so tired and so grumpy and so worn out. And like 99% of the time when I walk out of there, I feel so much better. You know, there's, there is that like one out of a hundred times where, I show up at jujitsu and I'm sore and I'm tired and like grumpy and I just have a really terrible training session and I just feel like worse afterwards. And you just like, you go out and sit in the car. Like you just, you rolled like complete crap and you're like, man, like what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I doing this? Like my, my knees hurt, my back hurts, my shoulder hurts, my fingers are broken. Like, but, uh, I don't know. It just, it's, jiu-jitsu is like really magical to me it just it's like active meditation you just for that 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever when we're rolling it's it like everything just disappears you know you're like you're really you're just kind of lost in you're just kind of lost in that moment lost in the in the doing of jiu-jitsu i sometimes go to therapy after jiu-jitsu and I always say it's kind of unfair because when I go to therapy after jujitsu, my therapist says, so how are things? And everything is great. Yeah. Like, I'm, I just feel good. So we agreed to switch my times. So that way I can give kind of a genuine sense of things. Because after jujitsu, I just feel wonderful. It's, you know, I'm driving, people are cutting me off in traffic and, you know, it doesn't bother me. I'm like, ah, all right, man, go ahead. It's cool. You know, I just, you know, not a care in the world. So I definitely, definitely get it. Uh, I know, you know, with this book upcoming uh, for release, and this is first, like first book um, that's out. Are there any thoughts on possibly a second book or a, another <clears throat> writing project potentially? Yeah, I've got um, I got several ideas. Uh, my my favorite philosopher, even though he's not from the ancient world, actually is uh, Nietzsche. And you know, a lot of people are generally surprised by that, especially because I gravitate towards kind of like the ancient like virtue philosophers, and Nietzsche is very very different. 
Um, I've, I would love to write a book on his philosophy, kind of like a practical guide to Nietzsche's philosophy. Um, I don't think it's as, it's definitely not as warm and fuzzy as like stoicism, for example, stoicism is a lot more like marketable. Um, however, I think that Nietzsche's philosophy, when you really understand it, if you can get through it, it is the most powerful set of ideas I've ever run into. It's, it's far more powerful than anything I've read in stoicism or anything else. Um, and then, uh, you know, I had another idea. I've got a, a secondary, um, philosophy page called philosophy says, so I have Renaissance wisdom and then I have philosophy says, and philosophy says is actually a much larger page. It's, I think it's got like 180,000 followers or something now, but it's, yeah. Um, that page kind of inspired me to, to think about a book um, and just basically entitle it Philosophy Says. And the idea would be I would pick like six to ten topics, like, for example, how to overcome fear or, um, you know, how to deal with death or just different topics. And then I would in each chapter, I would present, you know, four or five different philosophers viewpoints and ideas on kind of how to deal with uh, real world problems that we face today. Um, so that, and I would, you know, just call it something along the lines of like philosophy says, like what philosophy says about the world's biggest problems or, you know, something like that. So that's another idea that I have, you know, we'll, we'll see how the first one goes and everything, but. Awesome. I like that idea. That That's just thinking about it. Like, as soon as you said, I was like, dude, that, that sounds really, really, really cool. Like, I don't know. I think that's just something that it speaks to me. Like. Because I, I feel like just sitting here talking with you and and just hearing you, it's like, first off, it's it's getting me jazzed up to like train tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get on the mats. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> but then also just thinking about, you know, again, as we're talking about, you know, just challenges and, and, and you know, the trials and tribulations of, of just not just training jujitsu, but living life and, and, and getting through it. it. It's, you know, every bit of what I, you know, have gotten from your book thus far, you know, I, I feel like that's pouring through this, the, through the screen right now. It's just like, dude, it's working for me. It, like you, you're helping me. So hey, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, you know, something that I try to, think about is like you know the these things that i'm talking about or like these ideas it's like none, none of this stuff is it's not like an original idea right i mean that, and that's the whole thing of the book is it's the, the renaissance was a rebirth of wisdom from ancient greece and ancient rome and that's like i'm calling for another renaissance like we we've why don't we reconnect to the same wisdom of greece and rome that inspired the renaissance i mean it's like all the, all these ideas, all these things that I'm talking about, you know, they're, like I said, they're, they're not new ideas. It's just, and that's why I guess like it doesn't, I don't feel like anything special. I just feel like I just was fortunate enough to be curious enough to, to read some of this stuff, you know? And I think that's why I'm so passionate about kind of like sharing it, right. Is because they, it's really it's really powerful stuff. There's so many powerful ideas and, and works that are out there that, and one of, one of the saddest things for me is when 
when you see someone and like, I, I believe everybody has so much potential. Like every one of us has so much potential, like maybe different potential. You know, some people they're, you know, they're, they could be a supermodel. Some people can be a billionaire. Some people can be an athlete. Some people can just be a really great dad or husband or, you know, can be like, there's so many different things that we can be, but everyone has so much potential. And it's, it's so sad to see people like block their own potential. That that's like one of the saddest things for me to, to, to experience and to see is like when you see someone with so much talent, so much potential, and they're like, they're just in their own way. Like they're in their own head and they, they can't tap into that. I definitely can relate to that on some earlier points in life, like almost kind of like self-sabotage to some degree. Yeah. So it, it's definitely a, that's, you know, it's a sad thing to see. It's a sad thing to think about because, you know, like I said, I've, I've been in that spot and I see some friends in that spot too. I had, you know, a couple of friends right now. I'm just like telling them. And sometimes it, it's, my one buddy, he would always tell me, experience is the best teacher. Because if, if I try to tell you, hey, man, you should go do this or don't do that, you know, it's like, well, I got to experience it myself to really kind of pull from it to understand it. And I get yeah. what he's saying with that because, you know, he, he was the kind of individual I can't say, hey, Charles, don't, you know, don't put your finger in that socket. It's like, well, I mean, that should be common sense. But it's like, well, no, let me see why not to do that. Okay. Gets gets a little bit of a jolt. And he's like, okay, I won't do that again. But now he knows. Lesson learned. Uh, sometimes some of my friends make odd choices. <laughs> yeah. I think like I think that's part of why I'm so into the the history too, because it's like when you're reading history, reading biographies, because we're human beings and we we tend to be able to like empathize like when someone tells you like don't stick your finger in that light socket you're like okay buddy you know like okay and then you like <laughs> then you stick your finger in the light socket right because they told you not to so you're like you're motivated to do it but like when you read about somebody and it's like their biography and you read about them how they stuck their finger in the light socket and it burned their arm off like you can kind of learn from it that sometimes because you can kind of empathize and you put yourself in their shoes and you're like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to end up like that guy that stuck his finger in the light socket. So I don't know, like there's definitely a big difference between reading someone's story and kind of learning from via their experiences and their story versus like someone just preaching at you and telling you, yeah, true. you know, do, do this or don't do that. So well, I definitely know that with my six year old. As I tell her not to do <laughs> yeah. something, and she's like, "Yeah, but I just want to. Uh, could we not with the jet? I just want to, like, just like don't stand on that chair that way. Like, like it, it needs to be flat. It needs to be balanced. It's on one leg right now. But some people just gotta they they gotta learn that way during your writing process. It's just because I'm a snack guy, and I always want to know people's food." Did you have a favorite snack while riding? Uh, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not really like a snack guy. I eat really like I eat for like utility basically. Um, I drink, I drink a lot of, a lot of protein shakes. Um, I, 
mostly like mostly plant-based. I mean, I do do some meat. I still do fish and eggs and, um, I, I'm even doing, you know, meat a couple times a week now too, but, um, I, I tend to stay more kind of plant-based, but I, I do like lots of smoothies, lots of fruit. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't really do a lot of snacking when I eat. It's like, okay, I need fuel. So, um, or I'm just like, I'm doing it for an experience. Like I'll go to a nice restaurant and I mean, I love food, but, um, basically I'm either eating for utility or eating for like, I don't know, like the experience of doing, uh, of, of doing a food that I really enjoy. If you ask me like, what's my favorite food? I guess I could kind of go down like, I, I just, I'm a huge fan of like some really good authentic, like sashimi, like go to like a really good Japanese spot and just get some like really, really good sushi rice and some sashimi and just kind of go to town. Not that that's really like a book snacking food, but it counts as a snack though. I guess it, it counts as food. like, I'm always interested in what people eat because I like food a lot. Uh, and sometimes I'll get I'll get in a weird mode where it's like in my mind I'm like it's just serving a purpose. Uh, I'm not I'm not eating it for the taste. Well, that's how uh, I always say this to my my co-host for the other show where we review beers. And I don't even know how I got suckered into this because I don't like the taste of alcohol of any sort. It's like if I'm drinking alcohol, it's just for the purpose of it getting the job done. I'm not like mm, you know. This bourbon is really tasty. It's real smooth. Like, no, it's gross. It all tastes gross to me. <laughs> if you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds? Oh, man. This is this is such a big... I, I could tell when you were getting ready to ask it, this was going to be like the really tough one. Like, we're ending off on the really tough one. Man. Um, all right. So, like, 30 seconds, any message to the world, I would say, basically, so you're... You're capable of anything. Um, you truly can do anything, but it's going to take practice and it's going to take dedication. Um, the The only thing that can stop you from accomplishing something that you really want to accomplish is yourself. You know, so like if you go out there, you work hard, you focus on the process, and you focus on getting a little better each day. Eventually, you'll be able to accomplish the thing that you think was impossible today. Perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to watch the clock. Was, was like, you, had, you had four seconds. Yeah. Or actually, well, three. So thank you for that, Shane. This was awesome. This was, this was uh, informative and, and, and just helpful to myself. Hopefully the listeners really, really could sink, sink into this as well. Shout outs, mentions uh, before we get out of here. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look, I'd, I'd obviously any, anybody who's, um, listening to the cast today, um, you know, I've got two Instagram pages. Um, one is at Renaissance wisdom. The other one is, uh, at philosophy says feel free to, uh, you know, give me a follow on there. I post daily kind of have like some, uh, inspirational quotes and kind of like my take on, you know, the daily's top, the daily topic. Um, and then obviously the other thing I would say is the, uh, book's going to be coming out. It's on Amazon right now for ebook presale. Um, so you can find it by searching uh, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day. The 
paperback and hardback um, will be coming out on July 1st. Um, you can go through the link on my website at renaissance-wisdom.com or you can go to my you know, Instagram and look up on my link tree. Um, if you want to put in your email address, I'll send you out an email uh, when the physical copies are ready. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, you can also just kind of follow the page where the ebook is. And on July 1st, the, uh, the regular pages will pop up on there too. So other than that, you know, Hey, shout out to, uh, Diego Survivor BJJ here in Atlanta. You know, Diego's a great guy. If you guys are ever in the area, we're, we're pretty welcoming, come through, get some good, get some good, uh, training. Diego's an awesome guy. I don't, I don't know. Tell, tell Ty Murphy. I said, what's up? He was he was a great guy, man. Like we, we competed against each other all the time. We always shook hands. He's, I'm, he was like a first class guy, you know, super, super respectful. We'd say, what's up. We'd talk, we'd joke a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a champ on and off the mats. I'm sure, man. So. Absolutely. He's a, he's a great dude. Um, so thank you again, Shane. This, this was awesome. And I'll put the Instagram links in uh, the book link in the show notes as well for everyone. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that. And everyone listening, as always, thank you very much. Uh, I do appreciate uh, all the downloads, all the listens, everything. I appreciate the support. This is, this has been awesome. Uh, it, it's like I said earlier in the episode, I get nervous when I'm putting these out. I get nervous when I'm starting to record. So seeing people, following and and just listening to the show it, it helps a lot so thank you everyone i'd like to give a big shout out to a good friend mike over there at asgard 503 on instagram and also check out the websites asgard503.com go check out the geese go check out the rash guards the spats go go give them a look uh mike puts it all into this he, he's a hands-on type of guy so go check out the Go check out the materials. Check out his wares. Uh, also, big shout out to Armbar Attic, my good friends Eric and Allie. Go check out the website as well and their Instagram and TikTok. They're funny kids, you know that they're, they're always out there uh, putting together good, good little skits. And Allie's out there competing a lot lately, and she's kicking a lot of butt. So, go check them out. Support the team. Also, last shout out is to my other podcast. So you like horror. Most recent episode, we talk about vampires. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you like horror movies, you like horror comic books, stories, all that stuff, go check it out. It's a lot of fun. We 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 get silly sometimes. Um, otherwise, thank you, everyone. I love you all. You guys keep listening. I'm going to keep making these shows. Thank you, everybody. And goodbye. They publish it. Now let me see his song.